0: Welcome to Connex, a global leadership platform for construction executives. This podcast is delivered weekly featuring construction executives from around the globe. Today I'm interviewing uh, Patrick from Valiant and rather than me uh, introduce him, um, yeah, although I know Patrick for some time, uh, I won't let him introduce himself. And so, So Patrick, tell me about yourself and your company
1: hey scott how you doing thanks for having me um i'm patrick roderick i'm the president of valiant construction i started valiant when i was 26 years old and we are based out of louisville kentucky we do about 30 million a year in revenue 40 employees i got married i got married about six months ago
0: um oh that's new i didn't even know that
1: yeah 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 i'm married man um Let's see. Uh, yeah, we've worked throughout the southeast and Midwest. Um, we've uh, we've worked with you on in the past. You know, definitely on some schedule training and some other things. Um, so I'm a service disabled veteran. I believe, like yourself, I was a, uh, I was in the army and I got out of the uh, army and uh, I got out of off, I got home from Iraq in 2009. And that's when I started Valiant.
0: Oh, right during the recession,
1: huh? Right during the recession. Right during the recession. And I'm moving at home in 2008. It's been a while. I think I maybe got home to, like the very end of 2008. Anyways, um, I started Valiant when I was 26 in 2009. And then, you know, being a service disabled veteran, We've uh, done a lot of work with the VA through the service-disabled, veteran-owned, small business set-aside. And um, yeah, we've just grown steadily and surely over the years and kind of to where we're at today. In July, will be our 11th year in business. And, um, and it's been great. It's been hey, great.
0: So did you grow did You grow up in Louisville?
1: I grew up in Southern Indiana in Floyd's Knobs, Indiana, which oh, okay. is... Uh, it's kind of like a suburb right outside a little, little small small town.
0: Did uh, yeah. so? What what got you to join the army?
1: Uh, <clears throat> well, primarily, I was a senior in high school for 9/11. Mm-hmm. So I, I was uh, you know in school on September 11th, and at that time, a lot of my buddies were joining the military, and a lot of them were doing the National Guard thing, which that's what I did and uh ROTC in college and you know wanted to you know like like any young man I wanted to do what my friends were doing and I also had the you know the patriotic sense and also at that time needed to get my college paid for and uh it seemed like a a good thing to do. Super super glad I did it, it was best so I think if I had one the single best decision I ever made it was definitely uh Joining the army and doing ROTC.
0: You know, it is funny how it it takes you from being like an eighteen year old boy to a eighteen year old man really quick. You know, um, you learn things like, hey, mommy and daddy are now the Uncle Sam, and they can throw you in jail if you don't show up to work on time. So
1: <laughs> for sure, for sure, man, it it made me uh, appreciate my parents a lot more and have some respect, have a, more respect. Um, than I did in the past. And I also think, Scott, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, over- I've, spent, I've thought about this quite a bit, there's a lot of overlap between the construction industry and the military, uh, and that, and that's one reason why. I was a uh, infantry officer, and one of the things, you know, for one, that's a male dominated kind of profession and construction, although hopefully there's is a lot of diversity and hopefully it'll just continue, there'll be more females that uh, join the industry. In my world, there wasn't a lot of females. and then, of course, in uh, in the Army, as you probably are well aware, you need people of all of all ranks and all walks of life, from the the person that maybe barely finished high school to the, the you know the high up colonels and and generals and that sort of thing. And I think it's the same on a job site. You need the the lowest laborer all the way to the smartest engineer and everybody in between. And the smartest engineer cannot do what the lowest laborer can do. So truly it's, everyone's necessary. And uh, of course also the army gave me a lot of uh, leadership experience at a young age, you know, used, used to uh, kind of working, working with guys that were older than me and knew more than me. And the kind of the hopefully humility that comes with that. Uh, and I also think kind of that that the way I kind of view the field and superintendents and project managers are kind of like the the officers and the NCOs, and they both have a, a critical function, and one's not better than the other. And uh, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities.
0: Uh, I 100% agree. I mean, that's that's kind of the the model you have from the service just is very similar uh, to the construction field. I was just fortunate enough to do construction when I was in. Um, but uh what so when you got out and you started Valiant um did you guys automatically jump into the VA market or were you doing any and all projects or how does that work
1: Yeah we were pretty focused on the VA market from the beginning but we were doing definitely any and all projects I remember I think our first projects our first project ever was like uh Fifteen hundred dollar ICU slider door install. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it was a obviously pretty small, but I was very, very proud of that and and took it and took it seriously. And uh, I was the superintendent on that job. And uh, yeah, so we were focused pretty much on the VA from the get go, but definitely we would were are <clears throat> doing any work that we could get our hands on.
0: So. So today, would you say your core focus is is federal work or what would your core focus be? Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. Our core federal, our core focus is definitely federal work. Um, matter of fact, we've done a few private sector contracts. We've performed on a few private sector contracts over the years. And we get invited to bid all the time. And nowadays, we just don't even look at them. Our Our systems are set up such that we we really only do federal work and we don't even entertain, we don't entertain non-federal customers at this point. Like I said, we have in the past and we're just really geared for, for the federal projects.
0: So what would you say, it, you know, um, if you're willing to share this with us, kind of what is your five-year plan? And I know that uh, yeah. uh, recently, uh, I know uh, one of your guys told me that you guys are in the process or already through it, uh, implementing EOS. So that probably yeah. greatly affects what you're doing.
1: Yeah. So we definitely We're, we're traction disciples. We've, uh, been those of you might not know traction is a, is a popular book among entrepreneurs, small and medium sized companies. And, uh, traction has been a game changer for us. Matter of fact, my, my integrator for those of you that might be familiar with that term he's like my right-hand man his titles senior vice president he actually uh, he actually went to detroit and and visited the guys with saxie construction who are mentioned in the book and traction the book and those guys were super good to us and i think they dedicated two full days with him and another guy from the office so yeah, Traction's changed the game a ton. It's helped us get organized and get get a little bit more discipline for sure. So, and of course, part of Traction is the ten-year plan. So, I'll go with with the ten-year plan as opposed to the five. So, we definitely like federal work, and I think for the ten-year plan, I'd like to do work uh, Oconus, as they say, so outside the continental United States, and uh, maybe try to get into State Department work or other other uh, other construction opportunities outside the country. <clears throat> because one, one of the things that I like about that is, um, again, we've not done that yet. It's a 10-year, 10-year target. But uh, one of the things I like about it is all of our, our personnel are our badged, security clearance, they, they have to go. We do quite a bit of work with GSA. So um, kind of leverage that. And I understand that a company can even get cleared you could probably teach me more about that but uh maybe one day get the company a secret clearance and again i'm not exactly sure how that works maybe if one of your listeners wants to educate me that'd be great (laughs) but yeah so i think that's the 10-year plan definitely sticking in the federal market and just expanding our offerings to the federal government like i said hopefully outside of the continental united states
0: well, you know, uh, I, I'm also an EOS disciple. Uh, I was introduced to it, introduced to it from a, a Vistage group. I was part of, and, uh, it has been a game changer for us too. Uh, uh, if, if any of the listeners don't know about it, you need to know about it. Cause it's, uh, it's been extremely helpful. I, I don't know one person who's implemented it that says, Oh, Hey, I don't want any part of it. You know? I mean, it seems like yeah. people, people, uh, you know there's the, i think the hardest thing about eos and you can tell me if you agree or disagree patrick but for me not everything not all the pieces worked you know most of it worked but you got to kind of customize it a little bit to your own organization is that kind of what you yeah. see?
1: yeah so we uh we self implemented we met myself my integrator uh is a guy named jimmy Springston. Uh, we bought the book and we bought what the heck is EOS, the companion book, and several others in the series, and we self-implemented, meaning we all read the book page by page and and tried it ourselves, and and that we did pretty good with that. And then we got an implementer. Our implementer is great. He's a guy named Scott Abbott out of Indianapolis. And uh, with Scott, we've we've stuck to it pretty closely. So what he would call EOS pure. Uh, so, you know, I, I I do know what you mean though, and I think if I got to do it over again, I wouldn't try to oversell it to all the to the people in the field. And really, it means like five things, you know, the accountability chart, the quarterly conversations, the three three strike rule, and and a couple other things, and that's it for the for for most of the employees, you know, for every employee outside the leadership team.
0: Yeah, and it could be it could be completely over. It could. If you if you put it give it to the entire info all the information to everybody you you could just overload them and sure. in reality Agreed. you know simplicity as you know simplicity is key uh, and I say yeah. that I say that because you were in infantry and it's like <laughs> charge that hill and shoot that guy
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've heard your jokes before Scott uh, so you're they're you're and they're still
0: me. funny they're still funny <laughs> so. Uh, so uh, so are you using e- – so EOS is pretty much how you guys are preparing for the future. Are you, are you doing anything yeah. else? Uh, I mean, are you just following that model?
1: Yeah, so we're definitely doing EOS to prepare for the future. Another thing – well, another thing is what EOS would call LMA, lead, manage, and accountability. So one thing we're doing to prepare for the future is try to get everyone uh, – some lma LMA experience because that's that's really something that you just have to you have to practice it and do it to get good at it Uh, because it's tough to hold people accountable especially if they're your colleagues and your friends and you want to try to let them slide but i think that's a that's a skill and also getting used to being hell accountable and just knowing that it's not the end of the world that hey you know maybe i didn't do this correctly but now now i know and i'll do it better the next time so that, and then also we have a, a a a big initiative called Valiant University, which is just um, where, depending on what role you in, role you are in, you would get trained on certain aspects of the businesses we think are critical for that role's success. And one of them uh, is scheduling, which you have helped us a lot uh, with that over the years. So scheduling, I think, is very important. And that's uh, the videos you made for several years ago are kind of like one of the Valiant 101 scheduling classes that make up Valiant University. So I think that's a big, a really important thing for us for the 10-year target, because we have a very specific way that we like to approach our projects. Uh, We we call it the Valiant way, straight from traction, but Mm -hmm. we've got bid well, start well, build well and close well. And each one of those phases of a project means something specific to us. And, you know, they they have their own um, series of steps or processes within each one of the the high level processes. And,
0: And what I love about that is once again, what I just said before was simplicity is everything. And if you can break it down, you know, I mean, we have three core values and that's do the right thing, do it with urgency and be the gold standard. And if you can do, you know, and, and that's so important to be, you know, I think that majority of your job is a executive in construction whether that's be president or senior vice president is making the complex simple, you know, and, uh, you know, and, it, it, and uh, that's, it sounds like you're, you're doing that. So what, you know, what significant event have you, have you felt has shaped your business model that you had today?
1: Uh, Well, definitely difficult projects, you know, projects that maybe didn't go as well as we wanted them to and just uh, one of our core values is growth mindset. So if, uh, you know, when a project we've had just a handful of projects that were rough that didn't really didn't go well, maybe three, and those were all significant events. You know, because um, we really took the effort to not just kind of sweep them under the rug and get behind us, you know, have them get behind us. We actually dove in and figured out what went wrong and how we could prevent that moving forward. And uh, I give my integrator a lot of credit for that. Uh, yeah, he's definitely a systems guy, and uh, those th- those have been those have been, I think, where we've learned the most. Uh, hopefully we 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 don't have to have those to continue to learn we can still learn from just like you know instead of a whole project going wrong maybe just one part of it didn't go as planned and then we we actually dig in and figure out what we could have done differently uh so we can still get the get the lesson out of it
0: well what's what's funny about that is that there's always a cost sometimes it's a failed project or a difficult project but there's always a cost you know. So uh, how's this current event with this whole coronavirus thing affecting you guys?
1: You know, it's affected us. Uh, We've had a project get suspended and uh, I think a little slowdown in pre-construction. And and then of course, you know, one Sunday, this was several weeks ago, I sent out an email that where you know we we started working remotely, working from home. Mm-hmm. So a lot of Zoom meetings and and uh the leadership team, we had a conference call every we we had a huddle twice a day, once in the morning and once in the in the afternoon. And um so so those are two big ways. One, we wouldn't have that 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 frequency of of huddles if it wasn't for COVID. And also we wouldn't have just decided one day that uh, you know everybody's going to work from home and that was definitely uh, uncharted territory for us we had not we had not done that before but I from what I can tell we're we're making the best of it
0: and, and you know that's a that's been a struggle for me because a lot of people are like well haven't your model kind of it originated from home and that's true but man it's it's a different world when you're managing, you know, we got 78 people and managing 78 people. It's, it's nuts when you're trying to do with the phone and email sometimes, you know, so it's absolutely, I like to see faces, you know, and, uh, that's a, that's a tough thing. Even with something like this, you know, still tough.
1: Yeah, me too. Me, I'm the same. I mean, you know, I think I was like when I started in the industry, I was kind of the last of the old school where, Everyone called, picked up the phone and called. And I'm a big caller. As a matter of fact, I call Matt quite often if I have a question. You know, your guy, Matt. Yeah. And uh um I'm a big caller, and I think that these uh the the younger the kids that are even younger than me, they have a tendency to email or text. And i I got a, a great tip for your listen listeners that my favorite architect taught me when I was managing projects, and, and that is this architect, he would, uh, before he would reject my submittals, he would call me and uh, say, hey, I'm rejecting your submittals for this, that, or the other thing. And then, uh, of course, when I saw it in my inbox, it wasn't as, it wasn't as jarring. I didn't get as aggravated because we had had the conversation before. so. The, 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 the tip is to anytime you have a sensitive matter or something that, uh, you know, it's always best to give a call just instead of just sending that email and letting it fly. Oh, no,
0: that's, that's, that's really good advice. Cause it kind of, kind of take the sting out of it. On top of that email doesn't have tone. <laughs> we all know that that's tone is everything, you know? So, um, so personally, what what skills and ability do you think have helped the business over the years? And I know that's tough to say because it makes you kind of brag on yourself a little bit, but I think it's helpful for other people to know.
1: Well, I think sometimes your, your greatest strength can be your biggest weakness. So I'd say that uh, one thing that helped the business was I, I've always been super hands-on and that 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 definitely helped in the early you know in the early days um but of course after a while when you have good people and systems when you're super hands on that can quickly turn into micromanaging so uh i still think being hands on is is important and um getting to the job sites i, I definitely try to get to the job sites as much as I can, I think the the guys in the field. Uh, well, I think the superintendent is the you know all roles are important, but if I had to pick one, I would say the superintendent's the single more most important role in a construction company. And I've always thought, since I do believe that uh, that it's important for me to get some face time with those guys, and being spread out over the Midwest and Southeast. You know, while we do have quarterly meetings where we, we bring everyone into the office, at least we had our first virtual quarterly meeting a couple of weeks ago. But uh, I think that's important is to get out to the field and, and check in with those superintendents and see what they're up to and, and learn from, you know.
0: Um, as far as, uh, str- uh, you know, strengths of your company, what would you say the strengths of your company altogether?
1: So I would say uh, seasoned professionals seasoned professionals so we, we we try to hire the top talent and we we pay above market we use pay scale to actually prove that it's not just i think we pay above market. it's we actually have objective data from a third party mm-hmm. uh so seasoned professionals uh solution focused that's a that's a really big one um what i mean when i say that is if we if we submit an RFI, we want to we want to try to provide a solution with that, uh, that that the architect or the owner can think about. Um, we, we don't want to just throw our hands up and act like act like we're just robots just blindly following the drawings, even if it's if it doesn't make sense. So we try to be solutions focused, look out ahead and. Uh, uh, so solutions focused seasoned professionals and uh, schedule driven. We, we pay a great deal of attention to the schedule with our monthly updates and uh, with our short-term interval, interval planner which we call a foreman schedule. So the foreman schedule uh, nests under the critical path method schedule and then it, we call it the foreman schedule because the idea is that the superintendents distribute that to the foreman so that the foreman on their job site understand where they're supposed to be working this week next week and they can plan accordingly we, you know we want to really we want to control the job so uh, one of my old mentors taught me this and I'll say it a lot it's uh, project managing we don't need any project witnesses i mean i could go sit in a trailer and project witness the thing unfold in front of me but we want we want people that that manage the fire on the job and one way we do that's with the with the foreman schedule
0: that's a, I, I, I like that, uh, Project Witness. I, I'm going to use that in the future, Patrick. I'll give you credit every time. Yeah. So, you can
1: uh, give me credit. Actually, uh, <laughs> I have to think of who told me. Someone taught me it years ago. But uh, what,
0: yeah, would we you, don't... what would you say, if you had to say personally and professionally, what are some of the biggest – you know, I use the word failure. Somebody don't like the word, like to use that. But what what were some, your bigger some biggest failures and biggest successes, both personally and professionally?
1: So one one failure that yeah, I mean, why not use the word failure? It's, I, I failed at this, so it's okay. It is what it is. I uh, uh, probably like. Three years into it, I got the bright idea that we should start a masonry restoration division. And it was a colossal failure. And the reason that it failed was because I didn't, I didn't plan it out. I just went strictly based on my gut. And, you know, I went, I paid the expensive tuition to learn that lesson the hard way that, you know, being kind of an entrepreneur and and having a higher tolerance for risk I I just thought we could go for it and make it happen and that just wasn't the case and uh you know I learned that hey when you when you want to do something big especially something as big as starting a new division you really need to think it through and have a plan and know what you're going to do and and just apply some analytical rigor to that so uh that was a that was a pretty pretty big failure that was that was a while back, but I still remember it. So, um, yeah. And then successes, I think is uh, one of the things that we've been pretty good about is just patience, you know, and we've also been really good about, uh, staying, staying debt free. So we call it financial freedom. I mean, that's, that's, uh, we, all of our jobs require payment performance bonds. So we have, uh, we have, you know, adequate bonding because part of being the service disabled veteran on small business is keeping our, our revenue, let's say under 40 million on, as a five year average. So we want to be the big fish in the small pond and, you know, pursue the larger five to $15 million projects that are out there. And that requires us to have you know, plenty of bonding capacity. So because of the bonding man's requirements, we've always stayed debt free. And I think that's definitely been one of our successes.
0: So if you were to give any, you know, somebody that were to come in your company, uh, and they say, Hey, I want to eventually roll into an executive level position. What personal advice would you give them? And what professional advice would you give them?
1: So, well, I think I think that this is kind of maybe both so one thing I would say is just like with anything you need to have experience you know you need to have experience leading people experience uh holding people accountable probably for for me and you, probably for you too the military helped out a lot with that at a young age uh, but one thing that young folks can do that I, I highly recommend is is join nonprofit boards or you know extra credit if it's like ABC or AGC or something like that. Join join some boards, Eight, or it could be your church or whatever. You know, whatever you want to do. Uh, here in here in Louisville, they had Y YPAL, the Young Professionals Association of Louisville. I was active active in that several years ago. And So what that does
0: is, but you're no join. longer young, so you can't. I'm no
1: longer young,
0: exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, that's the truth. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, so what that does is uh, it gives you the chance to, you know, practice peer-to-peer leadership, which we all know is perhaps the most difficult type of leadership because if you're leading a nonprofit board, uh, no, no one has to be there, right? So you can polish up your leadership skills, skills that way. Another thing that I still do is uh, me and a good friend of mine, we uh, we lead the blackjack tent for the St. Joe's Orphanage here in here – in, uh, in louisville and you know again it's a it's a large event it's it's a pretty good massive undertaking but for young folks if they just get that experience outside of the what they might say the normal company channels then they can take that to their boss and say look i'm on this board i led this you know i led this painting of the school and here you know you i think that's really important is that people think beyond okay well how can I get, if you're right out of college, you might not get a leadership role at your company, but that doesn't mean you can't get leadership experience many, many other ways.
0: Well, that's good. That's some real good advice. And it, 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 it's incredible every time I, cause you know, we, we kind of standardize the format for this, at least for the, for, for a while. And every time we go into one of these uh, podcasts, I always think I've heard everything that needs to be said, you know? because I've done them all and I've heard everybody talk and I've heard a Larry Blackburn and, you know, and David Dean. And uh, I've seen, I heard these people, but every time I walk through this, I always keep a pen handy because I always write the, write some of these down. So I I appreciate the input. I like, by the way, I like your idea about we do a huddle in the morning, but we don't do a huddle in the afternoon. And that's probably important to do two a day, given the environment we're in. Yeah. So
1: we did, we did two huddles a day. For the first, for starting this week, we just out it back to the afternoon only. Hmm. So yeah, but I mean it was great. I I was telling Jimmy, my integrator, that uh, i really felt connected with the team. It was it was quite nice, you know. Everybody's working remotely and able to feel more connected than ever.
0: And it, we actually, I think that we're gonna take some of this. We're, you know, and do it on uh, on Monday morning, and because uh, that's one thing we do every every Monday morning now is we all get together and everybody gets to see each other's faces on you know on the go to meeting, and it's kind of nice to kick off the week that way. So, so uh, we're gonna move on to the speed round here, and this is a from a one to ten basis, uh, ten being the most important, one being the least important. We're gonna go through different topics, and you can explain or you can just give a number. And they could all be tens, you know. A lot of people think I gotta, I gotta prioritize these. No, they could all be tens if you want. So we'll go ahead and start with scheduling.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if everything is a ten, then nothing's a ten, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard to have a hundred priorities. Um, but with that said, I do think that scheduling is a for sure ten. Um, like I told you, for our company, I mean, we're schedule driven. Uh, I just don't so. I just don't see how you you finish a job on time without a without a good accurate schedule. And of course, it's got to be more than a, a piece of paper. And you've got to set the tone with the schedule from day one. You can't just halfway into a job go tell your subs that now we're going to start adhering to a schedule. It doesn't work like that. So you got to be consistent uh, with the scheduling message. So I think scheduling is number one for sure or 10.
0: okay top of my
1: list top priority estimating yeah i mean this is it's tempting to give everything a 10 right because if you have a bad estimate then the best schedule in the world is not going to help you so you know estimating is obviously very important um yeah I, i mean particularly I think it's good. It's, it's important to get adequate subcontractor coverage. And I think it's also really important to work with subs that you've worked with in the past and build on those relationships and they kind of know the expectations around schedule and so forth. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you estimating is very important. Let's say an eight.
0: Okay. Contract administration. Now I always, I mix these up because, uh, I shouldn't say mix them up, but I, I sometimes doesn't, don't put this as a caveat. I talk about contracts and I talk about administration of the contract. So can you kind of touch on both of those?
1: So contract administration to me means, um, you know, issuing your subcontracts, um, you know, keeping – Billing the owner appropriately, paying your subs promptly. Um that that's another thing when, when it comes to, to to paying our subs. One of the things that I say, I, I don't know how I'll ever prove this, but I like to say we're the fastest paying GC in the country because our, our owners pay us promptly. You know, usually if we bill when we bill by the end of the month, we can usually be paid by the let's say the 10th or 12th, and then we can pay our bills. You know 30 days after receiving their invoice if everything's done correctly and so um, yeah I mean contract administration I mean all these things you have are important you know that's you've got some that that that's important it's important that you're good in the office and the field so a lot of times you can you can be good at one or the other. Maybe great at building stuff, but your paperwork's not so great. And it's, it's really important for the work that we do that we uh, are exceptional in both areas. What so about? I would give, yeah, I'd give it a seven.
0: Let's say. What about contracts? The actual contract itself, whether it's a prime or a subcontract.
1: Okay, so we work exclusively as a prime. So our contracts are going to be with the government, and the you don't have a lot of i mean you can't go through and strike the government's contracts strike out things you don't like so i think it's important to know what you're signing obviously and um when it comes to contracts with your vendors yeah i mean that's obviously critically important i think what you've got to do there is uh, have a detailed features of work which you know and you try to capture um uh, all the all the items that are are kind of gray areas if you will and I'm not saying capture that and try to send it to somebody without them realizing what they're signing I'm saying sit down with them with the sub go through what what alls what all they you know you think they've included and confirm that we're, we're really big on we don't want any free work meaning we don't want work that we're not paying for but we don't want any free right we don't want to give any free rides we want to get what we pay for and uh so yeah i mean when it comes to to the subcontract i think what the key part there is just knowing exactly what you're buying and what you're not buying you know we don't do the whole you know all electrical per the plans and specs i i think that just sets yourself up for for a, a fight and just a bad job i think
0: mm-hmm. what about you didn't give me a number on contracts
1: oh okay let's say uh well i think the features of work is, is critical i'm going to say with specifically as it relates to the features of work for the subs i'm going to say um <laughs> i know why everybody <laughs> is, Uh
0: <laughs> yeah, that's is a tough a thing because 'cause they're all I important. Say, I'll say an eight. Okay. Uh what about design?
1: So it's gonna be different whether it's design bid build or design build. Um but the design is obviously very important. I mean we'll we'll go with design bid build because when it's design build, you know the architect works directly for us and it's a—it's uh, our responsibility. So it's it's maybe of higher importance that it's correct. But with a design bid build, I think what's most important with the design is that you get your superintendent on site 30 days earlier, maybe even more if you have the time and you have him conduct a detailed pre-alteration survey to just field verify uh, what's in the de- design documents. I am i can't tell you how many times, and I'm not throwing architects under the bus because what happens is a lot of times they get outdated as-built drawings and then their, their designs are based on these outdated as-built drawings, so therefore the design flaws are kind of baked in. Uh, so I think that with respect to the design, what's most important on a design, bid, build is that you get in there early and you address you know as many as the of the conflicts or the the inaccurate dimensions you, you address those as early as you can
0: what about so, account account oh you didn't give me number on that one
1: <laughs> I'll say uh, you know on design bid build the design is given to us by the owner issued to us by the owner so I'll say that one is lo- a little lower. What's very important, I'll say a six, okay. I don't know, is that you, you get in there and you identify the problems before you go to install the pipe in the ceiling. That's not the time to figure out it won't fit.
0: Well, I don't give it, architects as much credit as you do, so I'll just leave that as, as I said, but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, accounting.
1: Accounting, I'm gonna say that that is a little lower. I wouldn't give that a 10. I mean. You've got to keep track of the score. You got to know how much you're billing for and how much you're paying your subs, and you've got to keep accurate records. Um, but that's to kind of keeping track of things. So um, I don't know. I'd say that's a yeah. You, you could make a case. Somebody you know could definitely make a case that's a ten, and I I agree. You got to know your job costs. You got to Obviously, that feeds to your whip um, but I think if you do all the other things correctly, then hopefully the accounting will kind of take care of itself. I'm not trying to trivialize accounting; it's very important uh, but we're a construction company, not an accounting company. It's got to be done, and it's got to be done right. Um, I don't know i i i I could totally see someone giving that a ten. So, I don't know, man. I'll give it an eight.
0: Okay. Uh, you may want to go downstairs and tell your county department that you just gave them an eight. No, I'm just joking. So,
1: so. <laughs> no, kind of good. I do. I don't. It's not a, a big issue, you know, because those
0: guys are great. Oh, shoot. Uh, business development, better known as selling work.
1: So, selling work is, I'm going to, for us, that's lumped in with estimating pre construction so being that we pursue federal jobs you know we go to beta sam and find our find the projects that we want to pursue and and selling work that that means this selling for us would mean like a best value proposal Mm -hmm. and those are obviously very desirable and um, it's important that you can articulate why you're the best value and it's important that it not be Cookie, you know, a copy and paste exercise. You're actually uh, talking about the specific job, so I think uh, selling work's important. But I, I mean, compared to say scheduling or estimating, uh, I would put selling work behind those.
0: And you didn't give me a number.
1: I'd say uh, I'm going to say selling work is a four. Okay. I mean, it's important to keep good relationships but selling work i would put that behind you know like i said scheduling and you know having all like i said earlier you know working with the same subs over and over again um, i don't know how you sell work without a great estimate
0: and, and you know you you hit it on the head earlier when you said that you know it, it, it all depends what kind of company you are and then being the fact that you're a federal federal projects and it's low value low dollar value wins um most of the time we were under that model i you know you could see how different you know you know like david dean will say it's a 10 but on your side it's not necessarily a 10 because it's just the lowest dollar value win so if you get a good estimate you're you win so um right right last, last but not least leadership
1: well Leadership is the most important of all these things on here. So I, I, all, all the items we've discussed, I mean, you got to have good leadership. And I think being a general contractor, everybody that works for general contractors is in a leadership role, because you're setting the tone for the job. You're hopefully leading the owner to, to help you complete the project successfully. You're definitely leading the subcontractors. Even on design bid build, I think in many ways you're leading the architect, um, and then also when it comes to leadership, you know, it's good to have it's good to have coffee or free snacks or a flexible you know work environment that sort of thing. But what what really I think separates a great company and a good company is how strong their leaders are because if you've got really strong leaders than the, then the, everybody's working together and they, they respect one another. And, uh, just, it, it, uh, fosters trust. Things go a lot faster. If I can count on you that when Scott says he's going to do something, I just, can, I know it's done. I don't have to go back and check behind him. Um, I don't think you could ever, I don't think you could ever, um, rank leadership too high.
0: Well, Patrick, I want to thank you for meeting with me today, and uh, of course, I always give everyone the last word, uh, but I do want to say before we go, um, me, your company and my company kind of started around the same time frame. I was about 2007-ish, uh, and uh, during tough times, during when we had tough times back then, different environment, but the same kind of results. Uh, so uh, I've seen your company grow, and I've also seen you grow from that old cruddy building you used to be in
1: <laughs>
0: so, yeah. and uh to where you are now and uh uh you know and uh we we've had similar employees at times and we've known some people and i've got to know some good people with valiant and and it's just been a it's been a good relationship all together and being that you guys are in our same market we have a lot of similarities in that so uh, i thank you for for uh and i thank you for for uh, uh having the friendship and i i do want to say uh you should be proud of valiant as a company and uh, of yourself uh and i know you you don't hear this especially as a as an executive or an owner of a company but it takes a lot of sacrifice and a, a lot of things that you know, a lot of sacrifice on your own part, a lot of things like uh, keeping your mouth shut sometimes, and doing some things you don't don't like doing to get it to grow. And you've done that, and I've, uh, and and probably one of the toughest markets there is. And that's my that's my own personal opinion. But I've been in a lot of dark markets, and I can tell you the federal market is tough to do work in. So, uh, so I commend you for that. And as I said, I want to give you the last word, Patrick.
1: Well, Scott, thanks for having me. Um... Yeah, I guess we've been working together for I don't know, 6, 7 years maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh it's been great. Um, I I just uh I love the industry. I can't say enough good things about the industry. I uh, I just think it's wonderful. And um yeah, I'm I'm glad that you had me on and uh I'm going to definitely subscribe to the podcast and uh look forward to hear look forward to hearing what uh other folks think about these topics.
0: Well, once again, thank you, Patrick, and uh, to, the, to the audience, uh, come back next week for another Connex podcast.